Really the self in, in the whole grand scheme of things drives a self-directed account. So when you receive your returns into your retirement account, you're not being taxed. There's no capital gains. There's no type of tax that's being assessed. The only time you pay taxes on that money is if it's a traditional or tax deferred account. When you distribute that money later on in life by executing a distribution request from that account, which ultimately is not capital gains or anything else out of the ordinary. It's simply added to your tax filing for that year as ordinary earned income. So welcome to the Freedom Chasers podcast, where we bring you interviews and discussions that share the stories, successes, goals, and dreams of real estate agents and real estate investors pursuing a life of purpose and freedom. All right, guys, today I get to interview Corey DeHarsh, and it's a topic that I'm pretty excited to talk about today because it is about self-directed IRAs. A lot of you guys have money in your 401k and all of these different retirement accounts, but you don't really have too much access or insights on how to manage that. So today we're going to be talking about self-directed IRAs. Uh, Corey has $2.5 billion approximately under management. He's been doing this for 20 years. He let me know pre-show today that about full, only about 4% or so of all the money that's out there retirement accounts is self-directed. So if you're interested in maybe having a little bit more control over where your investment monies are going and how they're being utilized, especially in light of the last couple of years of what's been happening in the stock market, this might be the episode for you. We're going to, of course, give you some great disclaimers because we are not you know, tax experts or, or any of those types of things. But stay tuned for this, Corey. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Take us into it. Like, what are some of the major benefits people can experience with self-directed IRAs? Awesome. Well, yeah, thank you very much for having me. I think uh, the Freedom Chasers podcast is a great platform to speak about self-directed retirement account investing because it's a real great tool for people that are trying to be entrepreneurs, if you will, with their own retirement dollars, which not a lot of people know that they even can do. Um, so a great start is just that it is possible for you to hold any type of investment you'd like with your retirement dollars, whether they're tax sheltered, tax deferred, or traditional, which most people are familiar with, or Roth, meaning they've already paid taxes on that money, and it will grow moving forward completely tax-free, you can hold a very wide range of assets. It could be anything from a private loan to a friend or a business partner to a physical piece of real estate. As long as it's not a specific life insurance policy or something the IRS would call a hard to value or subjective asset, they let you hold it in your retirement account. You just need a custodian or administrator like Advanta IRA, the company I work for, that's willing to allow you to hold those assets. Most people are familiar with their wirehouse custodians, Edward Jones, T. Rowe Price, Merrill Lynch, that are fiduciaries or financial advisors. So they provide a specific advice or counsel and invest your funds however they see fit. Sometimes you may have a self-direct product with one of those companies where they're really just using fancy language and marketing to let you choose from a list of 20 different assets and call that your self-directed option. A true self-directed retirement account is one where the custodian or administrator, Advanta in the company I work for, don't say anything about what you can and cannot invest into. You bring the deal to the table. We simply help you follow the IRS rules and regulations to accomplish your investment goals. Now, one other thing to that effect, uh, we do not, as you just said with disclaimers, 
We do not provide tax, legal, or financial advice. We are simply experts in the IRS rules and regulations. We help all of our clients structure and strategize their deals. But the client has to bring the deal to the table and ultimately sign off that they've done their own due diligence and that they are making this investment at their own discretion. So if you're a client that is interested in self-direction, but you're also not sure about certain asset classes, really hone in on what asset class you have experience with or the interest to learn more because you're ultimately in the driver's seat with a self-directed account. Yeah, and let's talk about who this is for, maybe who this isn't for. So, I mean, obviously if someone wants to be truly passive, doesn't want to think about anything, this is probably not the right fit. Would you, would you agree? I would agree, but there is a caveat to that. I mean, there is real estate investing into syndications or private placements that could be good for those passive investors. So that is where you're using your retirement account as a limited partner into a deal where another group, a general partnership group, is doing the day-to-day -day operations. And really, the, the uh, term for this is mailbox money. You do the prospecting on a specific deal, you put your money up for what's usually a five-year holding period, a five-year kind of process, and you don't do anything aside. Put your money up, make sure that you're receiving the funds back. So there are extremely passive opportunities, but ultimately, again, you have to do some due diligence and some level of research into it. Uh, but in general, the typical self-directed client is the entrepreneurial driven investor. Uh, a lot of real estate investors, once they learn that they can use their retirement funds to jump into further real estate transactions, whether it's doing a partnership or uh, doing fix and flip real estate, uh, those are more so the client base we see, but I wouldn't limit it to just, you know, self-driven individuals. Anyone that wants to start a retirement account and has some way that they know how to generate returns can have a retirement account and yield these returns. A standard for an IRA is that as long as you generate ordinary earned income, you can contribute as of this year, 2023, $6,500 into that account. Or if you're over age 50, one extra thousand, $7,500. So if you're someone that's hearing this conversation and saying, oh, I don't have any retirement funds or any accounts, you can get one started pretty easily. Now, the side of that of self-direction is once you get that started, you need to know where you're going to place that money. Otherwise, it's just going to sit idle. So um, with the self-directed strategy, vetting out the opportunities and the deals that you're looking for, making sure you know your network and build in your community of that investment strategy, and then getting the plan started. If you don't already have one started to resource your funds from like uh, existing 401k or a previous employer plan or a thrift savings plan, there's a number of different plans that can be consolidated and rolled into these self-direct accounts. And I'm sure we'll get into that a little bit later. Uh, but anyone, anyone can really have the account. It just needs to be based on what your specific goals and aspirations are as far as investing go. Yeah. And so I like where you're taking this because obviously being a part of GoBundance, like I have a lot of access to different funds and syndications. And so this really could be like, I mean, if you're really not enjoying the, the returns you're getting in the stock market, if you know syndications that are, you know, doing large, like 10 to 15, maybe even 20%, you know, fixed rate returns or things like that. It could actually, like you said, it could actually be fairly passive, right? I mean, especially if you really trust the, the jockey or the operator that's running that syndication, you could take that money out of the stock market and put it into something where you may not have to worry about it for two to seven or 10 years, depending on how long it takes them to have a capital event. 
No, that is that is 100% correct. And, and again, you're investing into a syndication with a retirement account as a limited partner. So you do not have day-to-day -day responsibilities. Uh, you may be wanting to, to check up and at your own discretion, kind of keep an eye, if you will, on the partnership team. But uh, there are no regular responsibilities aside from reviewing the subscription documents, executing the subscription in the name of your retirement account and sending your money out uh, and then awaiting for the, the profits and proceeds to be returned. That's fantastic. So what are some things like you being in the business, what are some things that you see that most people wouldn't think of or wouldn't know to do when it comes to self-directed IRAs? I would say the strategy for deciding when and how and if a Roth conversion is a good fit for you is something that I see on a regular basis and I try to implore uh, clients or even potential clients that don't end up signing up with us uh, to consider and have the real conversation with their tax preparer. Um, again, I cannot provide tax advice and I'm not trying to imply that in any sense or shape or form, but I do find it very important for people to understand that if you're a younger investor, uh, for, for example's sake, I'm in my early thirties, um, I can take a $6,000 contribution this year and get a tax write-off for that. So I show to the IRS, I earned $6,000 less this year for my tax purposes, but then I invest that in my retirement account for the next 30 years. And that 6,000 grows into, for example, 100,000 after compounding and adding more. Ultimately, when I'm ready to retire, I'm gonna end up paying taxes on all of that money when I draw it out of that tax deferred account. Having said that, the alternative would be to either pay taxes on that money now and not get the write-off at $6,000 so that that 6,000 grows. And when I need it later in life at my 60s or 70s, I don't have to pay a dime of taxes on it. All of the growth that it creates in a Roth account are completely tax-free. So that in itself is a topic I always implore people to have the conversation with their own tax professional with. And on an annual basis, potentially. If you're looking at the end of a tax filing year and you look at your income that you're about to report when you file taxes in a few months and say, okay, I could report 9,000 more dollars before I bump up into the next tax bracket. That's a great point to say, okay, why don't I convert that 9,000 from a traditional account to a Roth account? It's not gonna change my tax bracket anyway. And it's gonna turn that money over so that Uncle Sam gets their hands on it. And then I can grow it completely tax-free moving forward. Again, I can't stress this enough. Please don't go off of my specific tax advice. Speak with your own professional, find out what works for your goals, your needs, and your specific scenario. Let's talk about setting one of these things up. Like how long does it take? What does it cost? That's a great question. And it actually is a common misnomer as far as how long it takes and what the costs are associated. So to complete an application with Advanta specifically, I mean, other custodians are gonna have a similar process. I can't speak to every other company, but to complete our application, you're looking at six or seven pages. We typically send it out via DocuSign, so you really don't even need to print or sign anything by hand in most cases. And it takes most people 15 to 20 minutes. I can walk someone through this application packet on the phone, on a 30 minute phone call, where I also learn what you plan to invest into or how you plan to invest and can leave notes for the account manager that you end up getting assigned to you that will help you and hold your hand through your investment journey through your self-directed account after that point moving forward. So a 15 minute application, six or seven pages. Once the account's opened, 
the IRS has what they call a right of rescission period before you're allowed to make your first investment. That's seven days from the day that the administrator, Advanta in my case, opens the account. So within those seven days, if you're someone that already has an investment on the table, so uh, you've already got a syndication you're planning to join, we can already get started with the syndication subscription paperwork, making sure they're all reviewed and approved by you as the client, executed by an Advanta authorized signatory. So it's accurately in your retirement account's name and tied through your retirement account's tax ID to avoid any potential consequences for you personally making that investment, which is not the case. Your retirement account, a separate entity from you, is making that investment. So that we can usually facilitate within about the first seven days. The other leg of this timeline is getting the money from previous resources, which in general, I tell people a conservative estimate, it'll take about 10 to 14 days. There are a few different ways people commonly fund these accounts, and I can very briefly explain those. The first way is a custodian to custodian transfer. That is the most simple way to move money between retirement accounts. It is a non-taxable and non-reportable event to the IRS. You simply fill out a transfer request document for the receiving party, so the company you want to take in the funds. They submit that to the current account holder or the, the presiding party, and they usually facilitate that via a wire. Sometimes they won't send a wire, so they mail a check. And that's where the lead time comes into play. If they're mailing a check from their office, uh, again, sometimes it will have to go to our office before it can be deposited. And sometimes they won't overnight it. Um, but in general, that process is a non-taxable, non-reportable event. It just flows from one company's back office to the other company's back office. And then you use the money as soon as it hits the account. The other way that people fund these accounts is by a rollover, whether it's a direct rollover or an indirect rollover. But what this means is you're taking funds from one type of account and moving it to a different type of account. So if you had a 401k and you've left a job uh, or any type of plan that you've left a job, if you worked in the school system, it would look like a 403b for you. If you're a government employee and, and in the military, a thrift savings plan or a TSP plan, 457, pretty much any of those couple number, couple digit acronyms um, that you had a plan with, as soon as you leave a job, you're eligible to move that money wherever you'd like. And not a lot of people know that. Not a lot of people know that once you leave that job, they have the right to take you out of the profit sharing pool of that retirement plan. So you may still be earning after you've left that job, but you may also have your money sit idle and they're still benefiting and investing off of your money while they're not giving you any further profits after the point you've terminated that employment. So it's important to know this, and I might be the first time you're ever hearing this, and reach out to that previous employer and say, hey, are you guys still investing my money? Yes, sure we are. Am I benefiting from that or am I cut off of the benefits at this point since I've left the job? Well, you're no longer benefiting. Okay, I'm going to roll that money over to uh, what's commonly known as a rollover IRA. If you're going to one of the larger custodians that do stocks, bonds, mutual funds, they call that product a rollover IRA. We don't necessarily call it that at Advanta, but it is what it is. It's your rolling over funds. That's the way you're starting and funding a new IRA account. That is reportable to the IRS, but it is a non-taxable event. As long as the amount you take out of one qualified plan is moved into another qualified plan, if it's moved directly, you can do that as many times as you want, perfectly fine. It'll be a wash from a tax matter perspective. And just for those that are very specifically interested, the distribution is going to be reported on Form 1099-R to the IRS, and the rollover in 
is going to be reported on form 5498 to the IRS. Now, the two ways you can do this, just kind of going back to the beginning, a direct rollover, as I just explained to you, straight from the old plan into the new plan. You can also do what's known as an indirect rollover, which not as many people take advantage of, but you can take a bridge loan basically of your retirement funds for up to 60 days, as long as you roll those into another qualified plan. So this means you initiate that distribution from the previous plan, you deposit that money into your own bank account. And as long as you put that money into a new qualified plan within 60 days of what the IRS calls constructive receipt, or basically the day a wire hits your bank account or a check is in your mailbox, then the same process occurs reported on 1099R, reported on 5498, as long as those numbers wash, there's no tax consequence for you. So those are the common ways people fund these accounts. Again, in either scenario, you're not going to pay taxes or deal with the tax consequence unless you go out of your way to do the Roth conversion, which I spoke about a few minutes ago. Everyone who listens to our show knows Tim and I are passionate about obtaining financial freedom through real estate investing. We also know that everyone's situations and goals are different. And while there are programs out there that show you a path to financial freedom, many of these programs are just too cookie cutter and don't take your personality, situation, and desired outcome into account. Think about the number of times that you've watched a guru online and tried to do the exact same thing as they did, but had nowhere near the same results. You are not alone. When I got started, I was continually paying for courses and getting only partial results until I discovered the path that made sense for me. The results prove this out. Most online course creators have let us in on their dirty secrets that 90 to 95% of their students never complete their course and achieve their desired outcome. This is not something that we're okay with. The benefit of working with Tim and I is that we are interviewing between 5 and 20 people every single week. We have accumulated hundreds of seven-figure strategies and gotten inside scoop from these successful entrepreneurs. We're able to work with you to pick the strategy that will best fit and then help you create the custom plan to take you quickly into financial freedom. As a former math teacher, I always taught my students that the fastest way between two points is a straight line. If you want to get rid of the many curves in the road that can make the journey longer and more costly, then go to coaching.freedomchaserspodcast.com and book a call with us. And let's get you on a straight line path to freedom. Amazing. So let's talk, what's the cost of setting this thing up? Oh, thank you. That was the other part of your initial question that I, I didn't get to. Um, I'm not going to go into the. I'm not going to go into the exact uh, dollars and cents, just because this is a recorded session and uh, people may see this five years down the line from today when we're recording it. In general, it is very cost efficient. There is a very nominal account application fee, and then there are annual fees. The way we structure our fee agreement either based on the total number of investments you hold, there's a flat rate that we charge annually for maintaining that asset in good standing to the IRS. It's a very reasonable fee. We're talking hundreds, not thousands. There are some custodians out there that do charge thousands for similar capacity, but that's not what we're, where we are at. Um, if someone wanted to look over our fee agreement, I'm very happy to share it. They would just need to email or contact me or Advanta in general, and we're happy to share it. I'm just not able to convey the exact numbers on a recorded you know, podcast like this. Um, the other option we have for fees, which really a lower percentage and portion of our clients take advantage of, is being billed based on the total value of their account with us. And when I say total value, I don't mean uh, points or interest on the assets that you hold or the value you have. It's as simple as we have a bracket on the fee agreement document. 
If your account is valued between zero and $15,000, we bill you this dollar amount annually. And this is billed on a quarterly increment. So every quarter we look at your total account value and then we bill based on that for that quarter. Uh, and that bracket goes again from zero to 15,000 all the way up to three quarters of a million and up. So based on where you're falling into that bracket, you can compare what that fee would be based on your rough total dollar amount versus how many assets you plan to hold and what different types of, of asset classes those are and really see what fee agreement is going to be better for you. As an onboarding specialist, it's my job at the onset to talk with someone as I'm helping them through the application and figure out, okay, what's your first two or three years with this self-directed account look like? What are your goals? What are you trying to accomplish investment-wise and growth-wise? And then we'll set what the fee agreement is at the outset to the best at that point in time. And I always implore clients, you can change your fee agreement at any point in the future. So set your own reminder, because we won't do this on your behalf, but set your own reminder to have this conversation again with your client account manager when you think it's necessary, whether that's one year out for you or three to five years out for you. Like again, if you're doing a syndication deal, that money, once you place the investment, is going to be tied up for a few years. But once that investment goes full cycle, you're going to get a large chunk back into your retirement account and decide what you want to do with that money, whether you're going to split it up into multiple investments now that it's grown or just reinvest all of that into the same style of asset. Depending on those decisions, you may want to switch your fee agreement. And that's, again, completely at your discretion. Anytime a client wants to, they can update that. And this is really interesting, too, because, like, you know, being around investors that, that invest a lot in, you know, LP positions, it's like one of their big problems when they're not doing this out of an IRA is, like, they get this capital back and they have to immediately deploy it. Otherwise, they're going to face big tax consequences, things of that nature. Inside of an IRA, like, you're not paying tax at that moment, right? You're paying tax when it comes out of the IRA potentially, right? So it's really like, I mean, obviously you want to make sure that money's deployed. So it's being utilized and getting returns, but maybe there's not the same time pressure. Like after, like example, after you sell a 1031 exchange type of thing, like you, you can breathe a little bit if you need to, before you put it into the next investment. Correct. There's no limitation. Again, um, Really, the self in the whole grand scheme of things drives a self-directed account. So uh, to the credit of what you just said, when you receive your returns into your retirement account, you're not being taxed. There's no capital gains. There's no type of tax that's being assessed. It's flowing back into either a tax-deferred traditional style account or a post-tax, completely tax-free Roth account. The only time you pay taxes on that money is if it's a traditional or tax-deferred account, when you distribute that money later on in life by executing a distribution request from that account, which ultimately is not capital gains or anything else out of the ordinary, it's simply added to your tax filing for that year as ordinary earned income. So ideally, the way these are set up, when you start to retire, whether you are full retiring, going completely you know, out of the workforce or slowly going to part-time, you're sub subsidizing what you need to work with the retirement income that you're creating, and you're just adding that to your ordinary earned income. So again, as I mentioned earlier with the Roth conversion example and, and kind of um, tip, if you will, um, build your way down in that case to what income you need and, and boiling yourself down to lower income tax brackets to still keep yourself you know in a comfortable position obviously you've worked hard for that money and you've invested it well so you want to live off of it in a positive manner as well uh, but keep yourself where your distributions you're taking out of the account are not going to break the bank when it comes tax season 
So let's talk about different types of maybe past retirement accounts that can actually come over. So for example, like I was a teacher and then I worked in, um, you know, the, uh, the sales world. So I'm assuming that like my, you know, 401k from the sales world is easily transferable. But what about things like teaching or government jobs where there's like a combination of, you know, these, these different plans, do those port over just as well? For the most part, they do port over just as well. Um, the one nuance I would add there is that a lot of people aren't aware that when you're currently employed, usually you cannot tap into that retirement fund to switch it over to a self-direct account. So uh, anytime you terminate employment, as I said a few moments ago, you can tap into that money at your discretion. It's free and fair game. If you're currently employed, you may or may not be able to use that money for self-directed purposes. The specific question you would want to ask either your employer, your benefits department, or if you know the company that your uh, employment uh, retirement plan is run through, the specific question is, can I do an in-service rollover? Most times the answer is going to be no, but there is a possibility that that employer allows for an in-service rollover, meaning you can take a portion potentially or all of that plan and move it over into a self-directed account so you can make these types of investments. A few common caveats to in-service rollovers are if you've got tenure with a company, let's say you've worked there for 15 years, then they let you maybe start tapping into a portion of that. Or if you're already at retirement age, age 59 and a half, set by the IRS for that purpose, uh, maybe they start letting you tap into it. They could also say no, it is completely case by case and completely designated by the retirement account custodian and the employer and their agreement that they set up with each other. Now, to the credit of the types of accounts, for the most part, all of, of the accounts that you would have in the US can be converted at the point that you're eligible to do an in-service or have already left that job. Uh, for your exact example in the school system, my wife did the exact same thing. When I met my wife, she was working in the elementary school system pursuing her master's degree. When she graduated and finished and moved on to a different career, it took me about a year or two until I asked her, hey, what's going on with the retirement account you had from you know the five or six years you were working as a, a speech pathologist in the school system? And she's like, well, it's still wherever they have it. So uh, being in this industry, I went out of my way to help her get that moved over. And it can be somewhat of an arduous process. They obviously don't like to just let go of your money as simply or easily as possible. I've found specifically in the school systems, um, sometimes they make you contact them over the phone and say, hey, I'm interested in doing a rollover. And then they slow the process down by saying, okay, well, we're going to mail you some physical paper. You have to sign this paper and mail it back to us. And then we have to process it for 10 days. And after we process it for 10 days, then we'll cut a check and mail a check to you or mail a check to your new custodian. That's the rollover process I described earlier. And even furthermore, an example of kind of the timeline that is set based on the previous company that had been holding that retirement account fund. Yeah, very, very cool. And, and so... Is there anything that you're aware of that just doesn't qualify for rollover? Yeah, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, we didn't get into this specifically, but the plan types. So there's, there's plan types that anyone can hold, like an IRA account, as long as you generate income that you pay uh, income tax on, you can have an IRA and contribute into it based on that income tax. 
Now, there are other plans like a solo 401k plan that we offer for small business owners or self-employed individuals uh, that as long as you're paying self-employment income tax specifically and have no rank and file or W-2 wage earners, you can have this type of plan, a solo 401k that has a much higher contribution limit annually than your IRA accounts uh, and also has a few additional benefits that are kind of caveat benefits to that plan type. When you have that plan, if you're trying to consolidate and roll funds in, you cannot move Roth IRA funds into that plan because the Roth IRA has already been taxed. And even if you want to put it into a solo 401k in a post-tax capacity, as of right now, the IRS just does not allow it. It would have to stay in a Roth IRA. Having said that, you can fund a solo 401k and also fund Roth monies into a solo 401k by doing a conversion within that plan. So that's a specific caveat that immediately came to mind when you asked that question of just a, a way that these accounts do not have portability. Yeah, that makes total sense. What would you say, like, what is your goals for yourself, for your life and business in the next 12 to 18 months? I, for my, my business, um, you know, for, for being an Advanta representative, we have had a, a pretty significant uptick in volume of clients looking to self-direct. So just to uh, keep up with that volume going up and, and just uh, satisfy and sustain my level of service I'm providing to my clients and my level of attention to detail and, and care into each specific person I'm working with to establish what their needs are, establish the right plan for them, establish the right action plan for their investments and get them to the phase where they've got their account set up. So just keeping up with the volume on a personal investment journey or goal um, within that time frame, I'd honestly really like to take down my first uh, property within my self-directed retirement account. Um, I've kind of gotten to a point where I have a high enough balance to pivot into uh, various real estate classes. I'm still kind of in the analysis paralysis and kind of uh, prospecting what asset class I specifically want to jump into. Uh, to be honest, that was a goal of mine uh, about four or five months ago as well. And just with my life in general and the uptick in our business, um, I've also got a young child at home. I just haven't been able to commit an, as much of my time or energy into the prospecting and the underwriting and due diligence that goes into, again, being very serious and intentional about how and where I want to place my money for these things, because it is a, a bit of a scarier idea of, hey, I, I'm going to be in complete control. If I make this investment and it flops, I've got to look at myself in the mirror. Um, and, and that's any self-directed investor's journey. But that would be my goal is, is to have um, within the next, I think you said 12, 18 or 24 months or so to, to have my first retirement account owned uh, property. So real estate asset. And ultimately, the goal there in a longer context or a longer time frame is to build a portfolio of properties in my retirement account that I can pass off to my son. I've got a, a he's almost two at this point. And uh, my goal is to leave him some land behind, some passive income generating assets that uh, that really allow him and afford him the ability to uh, pursue his own passions and dreams and kind of just know on the back burner, or, you know, in, in Papa's old retirement account, there's some money flowing his way.
That's incredible. Corey, thank you so much for sharing about your life and your business. For those of you guys out there listening, write down something you learned from today. Maybe it's the fact that you could be investing in a self-directed IRA and have more control. Maybe get better returns on your money. Write down something you learned from today. Share it with somebody you know so they can hold you accountable because freedom is acquired one action at a time. And if you take steps day by day before you know it, you too will be living a life of freedom. Thank you guys for tuning in. We'll catch you on the next episode. Please like, comment, share, and subscribe. Engagement is like gold to us. We can't do what we're doing without it. Reviews and subscriptions, particularly on Apple, Spotify, and YouTube, are worth more than money. So please do what you can to support the show. 